From Cathedral Hill in St. Paul, Minnesota, this is The Other Eleven, a podcast about the good, the bad, and the ugly of mental and behavioral health. My name is Andy Tiemann. This time we're talking about quiet quitting. You've probably heard the term being tossed around, but it's important to know how it came to be. You remember when COVID first hit, everybody went home, and at first it was all Zoom etiquette and pajama jokes. But two years later, if you made it through the layoffs and the pay cuts and the hunkering down, we turned a corner. Vaccines, some positivity, a little confidence, companies shifted from firing to hiring, and people started scratching that new job itch. And that led to the great resignation, which eventually tumbled into where we are now, the quiet quitting era. The phrase was popularized on social media earlier this year, but it's probably described best by Peter Gibbons in Office Space. He says to the Bobs, I'm not lazy. It's just that I don't care. And I have eight different bosses. Eight, Bob. So if I make a mistake, I have eight different people yelling at me. That's the real motivation, is to not be hassled. That and the fear of losing my job. But you know, Bob, that will only make someone work just hard enough to not get fired. Turns out Peterman nailed it 20-some years ago, and now we're all living it. This time on The Other Eleven, we're talking about that quiet quitting, offering a little guidance, a bunch of rabid opinions, and a little hope. So let's dive in. Part of this whole quiet quitting, I have to say, I was sad for a minute that there existed a thing such as quiet quitting, that we had created such a monster in society that is work, that people feel like they have to you know, silently quit or set these types of boundaries. And then on the other hand, I felt like, well, yeah, people should set, they should have boundaries so that it doesn't interfere with the other things going on in their life. So I I had a mixed reaction to that statement, like not not quite sure, well, I want what's best for my employees. But I also want them to show up and, and believe in what we do and have purpose here. But I don't want them to sacrifice everything in order to do that. For me, it feels like a little bit of a conundrum. How do we create an environment in which people feel like they're not chained to their desk? I don't want that. But that they feel excited to wake up most mornings, right? I think it's unrealistic to think that people wake up excited every morning to go to work. But feeling as though they're contributing and that they can see the value of that contribution to the greater good over time. And it makes them feel like they have purpose, that they are leaving the planet in better shape than they found it. It seems to me that the assumed construct within this idea of quiet quitting is that the the work industrial complex, the setup there is that that's just a carnivorous maw that will consume all workers and will take all the time that you give it. And anything you throw into it will just be eaten alive. So I'm not sure that that's true. I believe, you know, historically, you know, that's how we understand work is it's suffering and it's going breaking rocks and living for the weekend. But I think there's been a shift that a large corporations used to be of service to the shareholders and that the goal was to drive value for the shareholders. And that's why the board ran the company the way it did. And therefore, they would throw as many workers for as many hours as they could into the work to create value for the shareholders. And I think the shift is that that is not their only purpose. They have a larger responsibility to the people that they hire who do the work. 
to their families, right? By extension, the people that they're bringing their work selves home to, you know, so A, are they paying them enough money to feed their family? Is the family uh, toxicity level high because of the level of work they're doing? And then by extension, the communities that they live in, right? That the schools they attend, are there playgrounds at the schools? Are there streets paved on the way? So this goes back to sort of community, and I believe that we have a larger responsibility to take care of the people who work for us, their families, and the communities in which we live. I think that's true. It's a huge shift there. That's absolutely happened. There was a time when you just work, 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 and the boss was there to make sure you worked. Now there's a little bit of, a lot of it of, making sure you like where you work and you understand why you do what you do and you want to be there, not just that you kind of have to because you need a paycheck. There are circumstances in which people have to be there. Like you show up because you have to have a paycheck, you have to feed your family and you don't like your job. But it makes me super sad to think that it's not possible as an employer to bring joy, right? A way to, to give them more purpose I don't want to be the source of someone's angst all day, every day, feeling as though I'm over here believing in something great, thinking that, you know, we have built a community that is sustaining people and making them happy. And really, that's not true at all. I, I think that's another thing that has changed. People have stopped. Um, they, they will stop drinking the Kool-Aid now if they don't like the flavor. And that's the whole great mm. resignation. And that might be a little bit of quiet quitting if they don't quite have the guts to go to quit. They'll just kind of fade out. But they're saying the same thing that is like, I don't, I don't believe in this. I don't want to do it. I'm not into it. I, I don't like the, whatever the leader, the thing I do, the work we do, the stuff we make, whatever it is, they're not into it. And now more than ever, I think people have decided, you know what? I don't like that. I'm going to change it. I'm going to go get a different job. I'm going to just leave and go do something totally different. There's a lot of, career resets these days that that used to otherwise just be that's well, just the thing I do I've been doing it forever that's that's my career that's what I'm good at nowadays there's there's a much higher propensity I think for people to go try something different to take a slight right turn and go down a new path or sit in the chair and do not the bare minimum but what's expected and nothing more I think that's sort of this idea that I am not quitting. I'm quietly quitting the concept or I'm no longer subscribing to the mentality that work will be my life, that I will show up and give 150% to a thing when only 100% is required. And I don't know that I disagree with that, honestly. Like, I don't know that I would want, I, I understand that, yes, this to some degree is my baby, this, you know, like I have kids, but work, you know, I believe in what we do, and pour a lot of time, energy, effort, and time into it. But I don't expect other people to commit that level of time to it. I think that's unreasonable to think that my employees will show up a 1000% of the time, uh, and give more than what they have to give on a regular basis. It's also unnecessary in a lot of jobs. So I think what we're talking about applies to a certain segment of society. So I don't know why I thought of this, but in high school, I had a job scooping ice cream at the local ice cream shop. And I was, I was good enough at the job. I understood how to do it. I could make a single, a double, a malt, and I could get it to the customer and I could make change. And I started at a certain time and I left at a certain time. 
And I'm not sure if I'd worked 150%, it would have made any difference. Yeah, or more revenue. Like if I'd been nicer, like, would it have made them more money? Would it have changed? I'm not so sure. I, I needed to do the job adequately and appropriately. And I think for the time that I worked there, I did that. So the quiet quitting thing. So I think there are many jobs like that, where doing what you're required to do is fine and doing more isn't necessarily gonna like if i worked yeah. in the wheat save field, that energy for when your kids get off the bus and you really need to put effort into you know shaping a life is what you're saying as opposed to getting the scoop exactly perfect on the cone but if i pick berries and they pay me by the pound or the bushel and so the faster i work and the more berries i get and then the more i turn them in by the end of the day the more money i get paid there's a different motivation mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. if that's what motivates you Otherwise, you go scoop ice cream. You know, if you wanted more money, you would have picked berries. You know, if you and, are and if the berry pickers like forget it, I'm just going to go scoop ice cream and get paid the same amount every day. You know, that's a choice. But I think a lot of that it's work ethic. You know, and and I, for me coming up, I, my first job was making sandwiches in an assembly line at a, a vending company with a bunch of old ladies and hairnets, <laughs> and I hated it at 16 at 6:30 in the morning on a Saturday. Like, it was awful. But what it taught me was to strive for something uh, just that you bigger. enjoyed, <laughs> maybe not better, but bigger, you know, like I, I, I knew that's not where I was going to land. Um, and I bounced through a bunch of those weird high school jobs from bike shops to sandwich factories to lifeguarding to whatever. For me, that was practice and it was learning what I didn't want so that I could pursue something that I did feel was worth my time or, or purposeful or bigger. My father would is big on chores around the house, a yard work, right? So Saturdays was all about, you know, showing up and doing the yard work before you could go out and hang out with your friends. And I don't know where I was rushing off to one day, or maybe it was just that I was not motivated, highly motivated to weed the uh, front of our house. And I went out and he had asked me, go, go weed the front, do the bushes. And I probably came back inside 10 minutes later. And he looked at me like, okay, did you weed the bushes? And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. It's done. He goes, great. Let's go take a look. And he walked me outside and we paced up and down the front of the house looking at the bushes. And then he stepped back and he said, hmm. I was like, oh, God, what's going to happen? He said, are you proud of the work that you've done out here? Is this something you would put your name on, this job right here? And he said, listen, in life, you get to decide whether you are going to show up and work hard and be proud of what you put out there in the world or not. And he said, I wouldn't want you to waste your time on anything that you can't be proud of. From that moment forward, I don't think I did a thing without being able to step back and say, now, am I going to be proud of this work? Is this work that I want my name on or not? And for me, it was life-changing. I think it's a, it's a Harry Truman quote. He said, we all have to have a purpose and we all have to stand for something. And uh, I think that's true. Because otherwise, as we're back to this. What do you stand for? What, yeah, what's the, what's the point, right? Why do I, you know, going to get, getting up to go to work in your pajamas? Like that's a, what's the point kind of thing. If I don't have to shave anymore and it's a downhill slide, I think, you know, to this general, what are we doing here on planet Earth? Why? Why show up? Whatever you want to do, go ahead, you know, go for it, do it. But I think you got to pick something, even though everybody around you is telling you that's the wrong thing or this, that. I remember 
uh, where right after I got sober, I got a job with a guy named Dave Morford. And uh, Dave was an electrician. He was a journeyman electrician. He had a small little electric company, and he hired me to be his apprentice. So for a long time there, I got on the truck every morning, and I put on the tool belt and the hat, and we did the deal. And I had to ask myself, you know, it was like, it's moving forward. Am I going to take the test? Am I going to go forward and get my hours and do the work and become like Dave and, and do this? And I loved Dave. I mean, he took care of me. But I, on some level, I said, I think I'm supposed to be doing something else. And I had to say goodbye to that. And I went on and did a bunch of other things before I finally, you know, found my way or my way found me, whatever it was. Um, but for a good amount of time there, yeah, that was my life. And I was happy to get on the truck in the morning, pick up the guys, go do the work and come home. And, uh, whether or not my parents thought that was my purpose or other people, because they certainly didn't. My father was famous for saying, you're the most overeducated electrician in all of St. Paul. And I said, well, that may be true, but this is my job and this is how I pay the rent. I do this on my own and I'm proud of the work I do and I'm proud of the rent that I pay. And that was a seminal time for me to separate myself from both sort of childhood and other people's expectations and uh, coming to learn that it was up to me to identify uh, my own expectations of myself and then also to put them into practice. So it come, it's personal because some people might see a, a job as an electrician as being very purposeful and you're, you are providing a service to people who can't, they don't understand yeah. it. It's unsafe. It's, it's a thing, you know, and that is, that is a honorable job. But at some point it wasn't that it wasn't enough. So I think that people, it's you need to love, right. it is, it's personal. You need to love what you do regardless of what it is. And if you can't find that love along with purpose and work ethic and all the things that make a, a good employee or a satisfied human going to work every day, it's, it's going to be hard. So finding that perfect thing for you is also really important. Otherwise, at some point you don't love it and you're just doing it because you have to, or because you should, or because you've been told it's important or so it does, you have to love it. Or am I aiming for something more or better or different? Cause I don't know that everybody has the luxury of loving what they do. And so I think having purpose or knowing the why, whether it's to pay your rent or put food on the table or raise a family or whatever the purpose is, you can find meaning in that, but it is personal. And know. it's up to you to find the meaning. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times coming up, you know, working here over the years, I've thought, God, I wish I could just chuck all this and I wish I had a job like at a flower shop. Where you could leave whatever worry you had behind at five o'clock and not care. Yeah. And from nine to five, I'm surrounded by beautiful flowers and people that want to buy flowers, you know, and I get to be of use and service and it smells nice. And there are people yelling at me or, you know, whatever. Disappointed in you. Yeah. Disappointed in me. You know, I, I longed for uh, a safe, warm place to spend my work hours, um, and I was willing to give up stuff, right? Sacrifice things like money or power or prestige or ego, uh, because at that moment I needed to be coddled or I, you know, I needed softer, gentler treatment. But you didn't go to work at a flower shop. Nobody would hire me. Nobody would hire me. <laughs> no, Toiling. I think you had a, you had knowledge and therefore a responsibility because you knew things that you felt other people needed to know. That's a key point. And this goes back a little bit to where we began. Whereas if your job is uh, a nurse at the ER, when the person shows up and they come in on the gurney, you're the only person free at that moment with the skill set to stop the bleeding and do the work. And so it's requisite for you to do what's in front of you. And you're correct. Uh, many times through the course of this career, 
Um, I've been impelled forward by the knowledge that I have particular knowledge and experience, which is important for other people to have or for me to teach and pass along. Because if I did not, people would suffer or remain sick or die. So it's important for me to stay at the table, at the work, in front of the microphone, wherever we happen to be. And that's not in any way to toot my own horn. It goes back to uh, you know, one of the first days when this particular organization began, a large hospital um, that used to employ my old boss, who I worked for, my boss passed away. And uh, his last wish was that his small company that we worked for uh, be shut down behind him, which we did. And we provided solutions in the behavioral health space. And then uh, after his funeral, the large hospital called me up and said, uh, we'd like you to come up and talk to us. And so I went up and I sat at the, you know, giant long, you know, table in the conference room and I had on my little blue suit and, you know, I'm ready. And they said, we know that James is dead and we want you to answer the phone starting tomorrow morning. And I said, I'm in no way capable of doing such a thing. I'm not James. I don't have a company. I'm not in any way equipped. And they said, you are in fact equipped. We know that you've been doing the work and we have no one else to do it. Therefore, the responsibility falls to you. And we're going to start sending you phone calls at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. So in my little tiny apartment on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, the phone began to ring at eight o'clock the next morning with people that desperately needed help and didn't know where else to turn. And it was incumbent upon me at eight o'clock that next morning to answer that phone call and begin to provision solutions. And out of that, you know, all of this was born. But Yes, sometimes you're the guy, right? Whether you drive the ambulance or answer the phone, you're the only butcher in the village or whatever it happens to be, you have to do the work. And you find joy, I think, in knowing that you're needed, right? That your community needs you. So whether you love being the butcher or the guy answering the phone or whatever the job is, it's less about that and about the fact that your use and purpose is that there are many people that depend upon you to be the school bus driver. If you didn't drive this big, long bus that's, I imagine, incredibly difficult to drive through tiny little neighborhoods, and pick up the kids, they wouldn't get to school. I feel like some people might hear that and say, God, I wish it was so obvious what my purpose was. The phone rang, people needed you to pick up so that something awful wouldn't happen. It's like automatic purpose. But I that's just... the story, remember, that Andrew told himself. So I, to some degree, there is this buy-in, like we have to write that story ourselves. Like I can't sit here from my chair and say, Andrew, that was your purpose. Can't you see it? You were, you know, Andrew's, you know, created that value because he like, Every society before us needs to believe in something greater than just showing up and doing the work. I think that is a condition, a human condition. I think we are, we have to have meaning. And if we can't find it, we stumble along to some end that we can't make any sense of. And that's not awesome. Your whole life could change if you can figure out why you show up every day. With meaning and purpose comes magic. And I don't think we just came back from New York and had, saw Hamilton. If you don't stand for something, you fall for everything was the theme and the quote. And I don't know that everybody telling that story at the time knew what the impact of their part in that history unfolding would be, right? I don't, I don't know that we have any idea most days how when we show up in the world, the impact we're going to have on the person sitting next to us on the bus, or the lady that sold us the flowers. I think we have a responsibility to show up and to believe in something greater than ourselves and be open to being surprised by what life may give us back and the impact we may have on history as it unfolds. 
So here's a question about the quiet quitting thing that just occurred to me. And I think this happens a lot in the news today, whether we're watching the six o'clock news or reading the paper, we get this uh, glut of bad stuff, right? The fire and then it's followed by the murder. It's followed by the insurrection. You know, it's like that's what sells papers, right? And always has. Is there any question in anyone's mind that perhaps Inc. Magazine or somebody, you know, put this out as a little bit of fear mongering, right? For those that are running organizations to say, you know, we got to run something for the month of June to really get people's attention up. And it looks like everyone's quiet quitting. But maybe yeah. that's a good thing, right? So maybe what we're saying is these people should quit. Like, so if this is a free market economy, you don't have to work at any one of the places where you're not happy or you're quiet quitting. Go work at the flower shop. Or, you know, Andrew left a job open as an apprentice electrician. Like, there's, you know, go do something else. Maybe it's a good thing, but we're being told by whoever's selling the news today that uh, there's another catastrophe that's imminent. You know, terrible things are upon us because uh, all of these lazy people, Andy and Andrew and Jacqueline and the rest of them, they're quiet quitting. They're out there. They're doing it. I mean, maybe it was important for us to quite quit or resign and go do what we're supposed to be doing. I agree with you, though, that I think there <laughs> it could have been manufactured. <laughs> but but yes, people should people should quit. You hate what you do so bad. You hate it so bad that you're just sort of hiding and collecting a paycheck. Oh, my God. What a terrible way to exist. Just go do something else. Yeah. Do something. I mean, something you yeah, don't, don't hate, hate at least. Your job. Yeah. Jeez. Please don't come here and hate your job. No, no. <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, if you hate your job that much and it's my fault, maybe saying something is a worthwhile, like if it's not a bad fit, right? If you are showing up and it it is so fundamentally wrong the way that a company is doing something, or I think you also have a social responsibility or a, to say, listen, I think what you make up about this job and the way the job really is are two completely separate things. And if you want people to not quit, then I would change these few things. Like, yeah. I, I appreciate that kind of feedback. So here's this just came up. So here in the Twin Cities, we just had a, uh, I think it was a three-day nursing strike. Ten to 15,000 nurses for one of the large uh, hospital systems went on strike. What they're upset about, the union, is not pay. They're not looking for more money. This is about conditions and the way they're treated and patient, you know, counts and, and all kinds of job-related quality of work things. Because I think these people knew what they were signing up for. If you go into nursing, you go to nursing school, you understand what the job is and you want to do it. There's got to be a lot of love to go do that. So we don't want people that really wanted to be nurses and went to nursing school and are working hard to do it then to quit that does roll up to somebody else, especially if it's not about pay. Right? That's true. Uh, my mind doesn't go to nurses when I think about all this quiet quitting stuff. It goes to the just sort of hanging out at home, but whatever it is you do behind a computer. Like a lot of people, if it's not completely remote, it's hybrid and it's nobody's hovering on you, you know, and, and that's where I think what's worse than hating your job and quiet quitting in the background and just like being all crusty about it is when you maybe even like your job, but you've figured out a way to sort of milk it and do this bare minimum so that no one notices, which is a mixture of kind of apathy and laziness and gross. That is again, even then go do something else, do something. You shouldn't feel pride in not getting noticed or, or getting away with something. You got to be proud about the thing that is the work. Maybe this is just cyclical, right? We're going through a thing where we all got forced inside for two years. We're adapting and learning and changing because we had all of a sudden figure out how to do our jobs differently. And there hasn't been enough time for this all to play out. You know, this is like in the you know, turn of the century when people were leaving the farms, going to the big city. You know, transitions like we had never 
had in the history of civilization before. So we have to build giant apartment complexes in cities and figure out how to house these people and build sewers and feed them and do things that had never been done before. Maybe we're going through that kind of a transition period. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just change. We have an opportunity to re-engage, re-inspire, and create for ourselves a purpose-driven life, different from maybe the life that we had before and the purpose that we found and the things that we showed up and worked for. So if we look at this as a unique inflection point in history, which it is, we've survived a pandemic, it's changed many things about or brought at least to the forefront many issues, you know, uh, problems, potential areas for improvement. And if you don't have a purpose that you can put your finger on today, maybe looking at that as the opportunity to change things is where you can find some meaning. Because I think we are embarking on a new phase in history, right? We are coming into a very different time, whether it's leaving the farms or quiet quitting. But remember, each one of us will play a role in writing our own history. And if you're going to show up and put your foot down, and that's where you draw the line, and I'm going to show up and do the bare minimum, and that's what you stand for, think of the impact that that may have on the people that follow, if you're going to make that the bar. Think about your job. Love it or hate it, it's the thing you've chosen to do every day, all day long or most of every day, all day. Whether you're at home in your pajamas or back to some semblance of normal in-person, coffee, commute, calendars, key cards, the whole deal, someone depends on you, at work or at home. Someone depends on you. They need you. Think about that person. And if you're a boss and someone on your team is quietly fading away, maybe listen to our last episode. It'll help, I promise. Until next time, be well, Stay safe and see you out there.